back. Hi. Hello and welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am Dr. Glockenflecken. I am Lady Glockenflecken. And we are excited to have you with us today. Uh, we have a, a a guest today that Kristen has. Just, I've been waiting and waiting. She just can't wait. Kristen, love you. Love uh, order and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, design I and do. just everything in its place and everything needs to make sense and and be beautiful uh, which is how i don't understand how you ended up with me yeah because i'm kind of the opposite i've um, refined my taste I over am, the years so you got in well the getting was good i guess i, I guess so i i'm i am a fan of chaos yeah uh, in all aspects of my life and that's why i need Kristen to help uh, <laughs> control that but before we get to our guest um let's talk about our trip. Yeah. We just, we got, just back got back last week yep. from Australia. We we did it. We did it with our kids. Mm-hmm. And it was a long flight. It was a very, From the very West long Coast. Uh, it was the longest uh, flight we've taken with them. And it was the longest flight I think we've taken, period. It is. Yeah. My longest flight for yeah, sure. I think too. yours too. And we, what did we do to help? Well, what did we, what did we do for the kids? What? Well, okay. So, first of all, we we drugged our children, everyone. <laughs> we it drugged was them. recommended by their pediatrician. A pediatrician recommended drugging of children. That's what we did. You're going to start something. You're <laughs> opening a whole can of worms. It worked. It was all, it was a little bit of Benadryl. Yeah. And uh, some so a little melatonin, melatonin, little melatonin and a little Benadryl. Benadryl. And it was all under the supervision of their pediatrician and their father for whatever good that will do. It worked like a like a charm. Uh, it was it was great. The, I, the way there was better. They they slept um, and were well, relatively refreshed. Really, but I also drugged myself. I took some Unisom. Me and our younger daughter, we both are pretty responsive. So we both got some pretty decent sleep on the flight. You and our older daughter, I don't know. It just doesn't do much for you. I'm too big. I can't. I can't. No, but even even our our 11-year-old, she she got like a couple of hours and that was it. Then she just woke up. Anyway, we survived the travel. And then once we got there. Without Wi-Fi. Oh, that's the other thing. So we were on a Delta flight and it was a brand new plane. And for some reason... It was not equipped with Wi-Fi, which um, I don't understand. I was, that. I was, we were furious that we couldn't access a Wi-Fi network thirty thousand feet in the air. <laughs> How Flying dare they across the Pacific Ocean? How dare they deprive us of our social media accounts? It was <laughs> um, it was a disaster. I was more concerned about for the kids. Everything we brought for the kids involved some Wi-Fi. You made me read a book, Delta. <laughs> How dare you? <sighs> But and they then, did return the stuffy that they did. That our I do have left. to. I get, get a uh, Delta a big round of applause because our daughter, when we got off the plane in Sydney, our eight-year-old left her stuffed animal like under the seat. She just left it there, and then I got an email from the flight attendant said, "Hey, I, I was able to track. Fortunately, I'm easy to find on the internet." Mm-hmm. Uh, I have mixed feelings and, about and, that, but okay. And so <laughs> she uh, got got in touch with me through our website and the email address on the website and. Mailed, mailed it back. The stuff from like Tokyo, right? She had gone on. She was. She had gotten back. She couldn't. She she was like traveling all over the place, obviously. But she mailed it by the time she got back. But still, to to take that step to do that. So shout out to Lily, to to Lily from Delta. And then once we got there, one thing that um, I know we had talked about on a 
previous episode is how nervous you were about the spiders. Oh, yes. Because all you hear about Australia over here, well, a few things, but one of which is all the deadly and poisonous, you know, spiders and snakes. Now, we were and not plants. going into like the outback. No, like, we, were we were not in the roughing city. it uh, by yeah. any stretch of the no. imagination. Uh, but, and we so we saw a couple of big spider webs, a couple of things. But what <laughs> I want you to explain the the time that we almost like missed our reservation to I forgot what it was because you couldn't find your shoes. Yeah, I lost my shoes. Uh, that's because <laughs> tell them why you lost your shoes. That's because uh, I am, as you said, very orderly and organ organized. <clears throat> couldn't even get that out because this was a fail. Um, I was so, sometimes this happens where I'm so organized and I think ahead so far that then I can't remember by the time I get to the moment in time that I was preparing for, I can't remember what I've, where I've put the thing, you know, like when you put something in a really safe place so that it doesn't get lost and it's so safe that even you can't find it. Mm. That's what I did because I didn't want my shoes to get spiders in them. I didn't keep in mind I we were want... we were on like the the twenty second floor of a hotel, and yeah. you were still worried. I mean, I'm worried even here. So yes, you take me to Australia. I'm gonna be on high alert for spiders. So I put my shoes in a in a like a zippered pocket of your giant duffel bag in another closet and it's just like it's like behind layers many barriers of, for something to get yeah. into so i couldn't find it and then the thing that made me remember where i had put it is you said you probably hid them from the spiders and i was like oh yeah i did and that immediately reminded me of where they were so <laughs> i know you i know you quite well i've seen this happen folks this like time and time again you hide things from yourself, thinking uh, under the guise of organization. I don't hide them from myself. Yeah, well, you do. I mean, I mean you, that's the and, end result. And that's the end but... result. That's what you're doing. You're hiding. <laughs> it's not anyway, the intention. Uh, we, we have. Uh, I found them. Don't yes. worry. I and did it was, find them. We had and a we wonderful trip. We made it. We, we caught our ferry or whatever it was that we were trying to catch yeah. and uh, had a wonderful time. Yeah. And it took Highly us, recommend. Yes. Oh, wonder, going to Australia if you ever get great the chance. Great people. Uh, we did, nobody got sunburned. It was a success all the way around. Yes. All right. Well, let's get to our guest. Enough about our travels. All right. Um, so we have Dr. Ban Ku. Ban Ku is a, the director of the Health Design Lab at Thomas Jefferson University and an emergency physician. And we are so excited. This was a fascinating conversation. Yes. He talks all about healthcare design and why uh, people in medicine should care about design and, yeah. and how it can help. That's great. So let's get to it. Here is Dr. Ban Ku. All right, we are here with Dr. Ban Ku. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I, I know Kristen in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, she introduced me to you, and, very and she's very excited uh, for us to talk with you this morning. I'm way more excited. This is going to be my claim to fame because you're you all are famous in the emergency medicine world. Uh oh. Uh <laughs> But for like, much more ridiculous reasons than yeah. you. So yeah, I mean, do you do you actually ride a bike? And and I I do. I I I'm a big mountain biker and okay. surfer. So all these memes that <laughs> that you have, I 
And he's drinking a Diet all. Coke. Did you see that? <laughs> oh, my God. I did not see that. Oh, there you go. I, I love it when my stereotype fits perfectly with a specialty. 100% fit the mold. Busted. It's embarrassing. Uh, in fact, one, one time I was at a, a, a conference totally unrelated to emergency medicine, and uh, I just ran into an emergency physician while I was there. Uh, who was on his way to go kite surfing, and it was just uh, just classic emergency medicine doctor. What what are the things that you do that are uh, would be considered dangerous to anybody, any any oh. normal individual? Well, sometimes after I work a night shift, I've been up all night. I get into my car that already has my surfboard in it, and I drive an hour to the beach to go surfing. And then sometimes I'm so tired, I just pull off on the side of the road at a random rest stop and sleep in oh my, my car God. for like 20 minutes. And oh then like goodness. I surf all day. So you're, yeah. So you'd rather surf than sleep after yes, a shift. Exactly. Well, it's not just that. It's that you're, you're, you're like up all night working very hard and then decide to go out into the ocean. Yeah. Uh, well, I, get in a car and drive yeah, it. I mean, there's several, there's several things there that, that <laughs> I, 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 I would not recommend it. It's, but I, I gotta get my surf in. How often are you doing basis. night shifts? I do a couple of night shifts a week. Okay. And so I this like is not working. infrequent. Yeah. No, no, it's very, very frequently, but <laughs> I have a system set up. I've been doing it since residency. Okay. I used to like, uh, surf, um, in New York city of all places, uh, in really? Queens. Yeah. So I used to, and back then it was like 12 hour night shifts. I only work eight hours now. So that's not a are big deal. So uh, I would work surfing in the Hudson river yeah, or, or what? Yeah, what? Where no, and far Rockaway Queens is actually a big surfing community in New oh. York city out of all places. You huh. can actually take a subway to surf. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You well, got to get your board on the little subway train. And I had a car, so it made it a oh, little okay. bit more convenient. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I, I got to ask how, how does someone, I'm always fascinated by origin stories and how people get into the things that they're involved in. And so for you, you know, obviously, you know, as an emergency physician, you started uh, seeing that there, this, this health design, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about this. And so I would, I'd number one, want to know like, how on earth did you get into this type of work? But also like, what is it exactly? Help our listeners yeah. understand this. Well, one is I've always wanted to apply creativity in medicine, but was really frustrated because there was no avenue to be able to do that. And I feel like creativity is a skill that can be taught and creativity is important even in a quote, non-creative field like medicine. Cause you know, I think creativity helps us to solve complex problems. And I had this opportunity in um, the medical school where I'm at in Philadelphia to teach uh, design to medical students, a human-centered design or design thinking. And that was a way for us to tap into our creativity as medical students, as physicians, and to put on a mindset of thinking like a designer to be able to apply the principles and methods of, of design to healthcare. So it's not just about when people think about design, they think, well, you're just kind of making the aesthetics of a product or an object better. But it's a lot more than that. It's really applying empathy, applying skills of prototyping, of really being able to tap into our innate creativity as humans, and but so, in the healthcare space. Sorry. Um, so two questions. One, 
you know, why do that? Why is that important? And two, how does design thinking differ from scientific thinking that maybe most people in medicine, or at least the stereotype of medicine, might be more familiar with? Yeah, yeah. They're, great question. I, I get this a lot. And, and I feel like, you know, I'm not saying to abandon the scientific method. You know, I, I'm a researcher. I have a lab. And I, but I feel like we could blend the scientific mindset with the creative mindset. And, you know, many of the problems in healthcare aren't black and white solutions, right? There's a lot of ambiguity in the healthcare space. You know, there's multiple drugs or treatments we could give for um, a specific disease. And, a lot of times there's not a clear cut answer to that. Sometimes there is, right? If you have a tumor that needs to be excised, yeah, that needs to go away. But so many of the problems are ambiguous. And I think design can help us get to a better solution by, by helping us embrace that uh, ambiguity. Hmm. That's very cool. What What do you think that the the biggest barriers to good design in the healthcare system are right now. Why, why? Cause to me, it seems like it's, you know, horrib horribly designed yeah. as an end user, right? I'm not um, a participant in um, creating any medicine um, or providing any medicine, but I do, you oh, know, yeah, show you up are. and go to the you, doctor. You saved well, his life right there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, you got a little bit of that. Well, not in any licensed yeah. capacity, let's put it that way. Um, but I've seen some pretty, pretty bad examples. Like, um, you know, when I did CPR on him and I came to the um, hospital, it was like the height of the COVID pandemic. And so I wasn't allowed mm. in except as an end of life case. So ultimately mm. I did get to come in, um, but they, but I didn't get to see him. I didn't get to be with him. And where they put me was this little exam, like, not exam room, a waiting area for um, patients after they would gown up, they would be waiting for scans. And it was in radiology. And when I go around speaking, I always like to ask doctors if they know why that's a problem. And they never, they never think of why that's a problem. So I'm curious if you might know from a yeah. design perspective. I think design excels at making experiences beautiful. And most of our experience in healthcare aren't beautiful. There are these crummy experiences of, yeah, I've had the worst day of my life. And then mm -hmm. they put you into the worst place in the hospital. It looks like, you know, you're at the um, DMV getting your driver's license. It's just like the, it's just a terrible experience. And we don't think about the end user. We don't think about how we might design a better experience for patients, family members, uh, caregivers. Yeah. Uh, like and there's a functional component too of well, the design. Have... Oh, what do you mean? The a functional component? Well, in radiology, the walls are lined with lead. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I'm in there all alone, isolated, and then they just cut off my cell phone signal. Oh. So they cut me off from the outside world all for just, you know, bad design, bad forethought, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I'm curious, you know, that's pandemic, definitely we're really kind of flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah. I like to think it was that. Who knows? Um... <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Of both. Things haven't changed since the <laughs> pandemic. I think yeah. in our experiences in hospitals and clinics. Right. Yeah, true. Yeah. So anyway, that was just that was an example um, that I've seen in my own life. So I'm curious 
Why is it that way? What are the barriers to making things better? I feel like as in in healthcare, we don't appreciate the value of design. I think so much of what we do in healthcare, you know, we're putting out fires uh, all, all the time. Mm-hmm. And and in in design, we have there's a saying of form follows function. You know, the chairs that we're sitting on, they look that way because they're supposed to hold us up in in the air when we sit so we don't fall down. And my buddy Brendan Carr, who's an emergency physician, says in healthcare, form follows finance. Yeah. And the incentives oh, yeah. are so perverse in in healthcare. And because of the way that our system has been intentionally designed leads to poor experiences. So you can think about, you know, the financing of healthcare, the way we pay for healthcare. Um, really impact these policies impact our experience as patients, providers, and clinicians. So there's two things we can do then. We can going forward, we can have more of a form follows function type of thing. But then how do we I guess we can we gotta figure out a way to fix the the problems though that are already in place. Yeah, you can't just, you know, completely eliminate the finance piece of it, but how do we add in <laughs> maybe a third yeah. component. Yeah. I mean, but you know, when we think of the financing of healthcare, that was someone designed the financing of it, you know, decades of go- ago that <laughs> yeah. our, uh, the way we pay for healthcare is through insurance through. Who was that employer. guy? I just want to talk to him. <laughs> I think it was like in Texas, <laughs> maybe yeah. a long Come on. time ago. <laughs> we got it. Okay. Go back in time and, you know, do a couple things and have that as a stern conversation, a stern talking <laughs> stern to talking that person. To. And in other countries, they haven't designed it that way. And right. just because we experience this, have experienced this for decades, we don't realize, yeah, at some point, somewhere, somebody, some entity, some uh, mm-hmm. uh, policy was created. And we have a system that was perfectly designed to give us our experience of it right now. Right. Right. Perfectly designed to to make us all miserable to suck. Uh, and and financially devastate people. That's, yeah. that's a, so so you are going back. You you're a med student, and and you that's when you started getting into this idea of design and and wanting to combine creativity. No, I you give me way too much credit. Oh, I, it was, it yeah, was later. The way, yeah, much later. But I I have always been I I was fascinated about design, but didn't really know what it was. I never formally studied uh, design. I was a classical studies major in college. So I'm this weird guy who studied ancient Greek and Latin. And uh, I I actually didn't want to go to med school at at one point because I... um, What were you going to do instead? I, I don't know. So that's probably why I went to medical school. <laughs> well, you already knew all the words. So you were one step ahead of everybody else. I, my, my parents would disown me. They're they're from immigrants from South Korea. And they say, hey, we came to this country so you could go to an Ivy League school and become a doctor. Literally. So I've been brainwashed. So yeah. it would have been <laughs> caused chaos in, the, in our universe if, if I had not followed a path of medicine. Gotcha. And yeah, so I've always been, you know, I geeked out about the design, like industrial design, the design of products, of how architects design buildings. 
and have always been kind of fascinated by this process. And I think, and I thought, you know, why don't we do this in healthcare? Because I believe that design can bridge technology and patients. Like we have the technology, but there's so many times there's this mismatch where we feel like something's missing there. Right. And, and I, I think the bar is so low for us in healthcare, both from a clinician side a and the patient side for us to make these experiences that we have beautiful to bring humanity into our experiences. And what you have said about the pandemic of, of separating patients from their loved ones should never, ever happen again. That was the most, mm-hmm. that was the hardest thing I think I've experienced as, as, a, as a physician in, in, in my career. It was, it was inhumane. Yeah. And if my loved one you know, if my wife or my mom ended up in the hospital and was dying, I mean, you would have to get the security and police from me not going into that room. Like I would literally barge in. I was like, I don't care if I get COVID. Uh, I don't care if you arrest me. You are not going to separate me from my loved one. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, it was rough. And there are a lot of people out there in that situation that are, that are now dealing the with the aftermath of being similar. separated in these horrible circumstances. Oh, so, so many stories. And, you know, I've had experiences of telling family members that their loved one was dying on the phone. I mean, it, it was just it's. Yeah, so, it's you know, how, you know, and going into, you know, thinking about our next crisis, how, how can we make hospitals safer? uh, for, for patients, their family members. So this doesn't ever happen again. How can we design hospitals with more ventilation? How can we ensure supply chains? So, uh, this, this inhumanity will never happen, happen again. When you, um, so now you're the director of the health design lab at, at Thomas Jefferson university. Uh, congratulations, by the way, that sounds very impressive. <laughs> That's, it's, I mean, I think being a physician is enough. Like you didn't have to go and do like a whole nother, like really impressive thing, but good, good on you. Uh, um, what was, uh, were there, can you give us like a concrete example of like a problem, something you tackled as from a design standpoint that you yeah. saw? You know, one is I ha- I have these 3D printers in the back of me here. That, I see those. Yeah. So we were starting to, we look at a lot of different emerging technologies. So desktop 3D printing. And we, we bought some printers uh, years ago and thought, you know, what can we do with this in the healthcare space? You know, can, can we, you know, what are the applications of this technology? So we started doing some research working with our surgical colleagues in the beginning and and, and said, hey, can we use this as another data point for surgical planning? So complex surgeries uh, where, you know, working with, with our head and neck cancer surgeons around uh, mandibular reconstruction and thought, hey, can we print out the mandible from a CAT scan and do some surgical planning? So one technique was um, bending a titanium plate uh, in the OR in real time to stabilize your uh, mandible, your, your jaw. And we thought, hey, why don't we print these out first, uh, pre-bend these plates so we don't have to do it in real, so the surgeons don't have to do it in real time in the OR, um, you know, sterilize them and see if we can match oh. it and so save some time. So that's like one practical example of, of we have this technology, how can we uh, think about human-centered design and apply it in to real problems in the healthcare space. So that problem was, you know, decreasing OR time in, in complex surgery. So we've done a lot of research um, around that. And 
you you are in w- one of the best places for figure finding out where those problems are right the emergency department uh, there's probably so many design things you're you're you got like roaming around your head and um, oh yeah yeah do yeah. you have like a holy grail of of like design you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to unlock you know you know one is yeah the holy grail is how do we keep patients from being in the hallways when they're yes. boarded in the hospital so you like it's if i could prevent um boarding in emergency rooms i feel like i could die and that that would be like it'd be better than winning the nobel prize because i think it's <laughs> the most inhumane thing to do right. when you are when you go to the er it's probably the worst moment of your life mm-hmm. and then we go okay well we're so busy uh, you waited 10 hours and then we're going to put you in a hallway bed and you're going to wait maybe two, three, four hours a day, two days to get upstairs to your admitted bed. I mean, that is, that's it, yeah. inhumane that happens. And I go, how come this doesn't happen anywhere else in the hospital? Like imagine going into the ICU and having a boarded patient like in the hallway on a ventilator in an ICU or or, you know, think about maybe other industries of if you hop on a flight and go, hey, I was assigned a seat, but then they're like, oh, no, you, we don't have a seat for you, but you could be in the aisle for this entire, like, eight-hour flight, you know, like transatlantic a little, flight. A little overhead bend space we could, <laughs> yeah. we could just into. slip you into. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, no. and that's, you know, that's, that is a great uh, design challenge of, you know, how do we prevent boarding? And I think a lot of people will go, well, we just need bigger emergency rooms, right? Because uh, to so we could have more beds. Well, I mean, I don't think that is the answer. I think it's a lot of the policies that, that we have that prevent a patient from going upstairs from the discharge processes to a human capital of, of we have nurses um, and other clinicians, you know, leaving healthcare in droves. And so when there's a shortage of hospital beds, I, I don't like that term because I think there's like really the problem is a shortage of nurses and other yeah. other uh, frontline frontline workers. The what do they call it? The Great Resignation. Yeah, so everybody everybody's leaving. Oh, a hundred percent. And how can we how can we redesign the experience of a of a nurse or a clinician working in a system to be a great great experience? I mean, I I love the um, humanity that I see in so many of my coworkers, you know, there, we really, at the end of the day, want to take care of patients. But then when we treat a uh, healthcare workers, put them in the most stressful situations, like don't give them the resources that they need, it's going to lead to burnout. And it's really frustrating because I visit a lot of like tech companies and I go and I go, this space is a beautiful. There's like light here. There's places to decompress. There's like free food and kombucha on tap. And I see my residents like stealing turkey sandwiches from, from the patient trays because there's no food. I'm like, we're, we need to give some compassion to our, our, our healthcare workers who are in the most stressful situations. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm assuming that some pushback to that might be, well, that doesn't increase the bottom line, right? That's if, if form follows finance, where's the finance in that? But I think that that's maybe a, a short-sighted way of thinking about that problem, because if you can retain your healthcare workers, 
um, if you have less turnover, if people are, you know, able to treat patients better, right, then the patients are happier, the patients get better faster. I mean, all of that would affect the bottom line. Yeah. And, and burnt out, burnt out nurses and physicians are going to give burnt out care. Right. It's, 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 mm -hmm. it's, to me, it's a simple formula. Like, yes, it's going to be some short-term pain, but uh, it's going to be have better long-term impact upon the delivery of of care. Can you can you three D print a solution to this? <laughs> Is this how how close are you? <laughs> Well, you know, it is a complex problem that needs a different yeah. mindset. Uh, yeah. You know, like how how can we give it a different lens? You know, a great part of design is uh, questioning a problem from multiple different angles. And I think in healthcare, we assume that we know the answers all the time. But you know, how do we how do we pause, take take a step back, and how do we think about a better future state? I think designers are so optimistic. Because they, and they have to be. They have to think of how something like a product or a service or space is going to look like in the future, and to create a path to get there. And I don't think we do that in healthcare. You know, we don't think about, hey, how are we going to create a better system in ten years from now, fifteen years from now? Because we're so busy, uh, literally per, uh, putting out fires every, every day in our jobs. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. What do you say to people who, you know? You know, the idealism sounds great. The optimism sounds great. But there's the practicality of in the realism of the situation. So how do we balance those things? Uh, other countries are doing it. You know, that, uh, you know, I was just reading these stats of of uh, we here in the U.S., out of all the high income nations, like we have the worst health outcomes. We experience the worst uh, health outcomes. The, the We have the. I think the lowest life expectancy at birth, the highest maternal and infant mortality rates, um, you know, the highest death rates for like treatable conditions. Mm. And we're the richest country in the world. So other nations have figured this out. And this is, uh, you know, you know, nations like, like New Zealand and a lot of European nations and S South Korea from where my parents are from. And they figured it out. And so it's not a technology or a financing issue. Like we have the finances, we have the technology. And I, I really believe it's, you know, that we design these policies um, incorrectly. You know, we have not put the human uh, at the center. Well, let's take a quick break and we're going to come back with uh, Dr. Ban Ku. Hey, Kristen, I have a PSA for you and all of our listeners from our friends from Tarsus. Let's hear it. You know how sometimes you can get red, itchy, irritated eyelids? Okay. Well, do you know what that might be? What? Eyelid mites. No. Yeah, it's no. true. It's a disease. It's called Demodex blepharitis. That's disgusting. It's pretty common. That's horrifying. So if you have itchy, red, irritated eyelids, go talk to your eye doctor. They can take a look at you. Tell you if you're not alone. That's right. But don't freak out. Just get checked out. All right. To find out more, Go to eyelidcheck.com. Again, that's eyelidcheck.com to get more information about Demodex blepharitis. All 
All right, we are back with Dr. Bon Koo. Now, uh, uh, Dr. Koo, we, we've uh, established that you're, uh, you know, you, have, you wear two hats. You got this design thing, you got the emergency medicine thing, and that emergency medicine provides you with a lot of interesting uh, experiences. And I know that you yourself have had an experience as a patient uh, and it kind of a really exemplifies how sometimes bad doctors are as patients. Would you care to share with us this? Okay, this is this is embarrassing. It, it happened a while ago. I, uh, as as we said before, I'm addicted to surfing. And one time I was surfing, and I don't know what happened. I think the board hit me in the head pretty violently, and I was in the lineup and in the ocean. And I'm, th- and I'm thinking, how long have I been out here in the ocean? And I was like thinking, what happened this morning? Like, how did I even get here? And I paddle up to another surfer near me and i said yo dude how long have i been here (laughs) and he says (laughs) i think you should probably get out of the water so (laughs) i get out of water i call my buddy who's another emergency room doctor and who i surf with and i said hey ed did did i did we surf together or did i call you this morning he's like yeah dude like you called me it's like we had a whole conversation this morning i was asking you about the waves and he said don't drive home you should like just check into a, a local emergency room down there. And wow. I'm like, Dude, I'm like, I am driving home. I'm not going to go to the oh local, like, local hospital. Ugh. Like, otherwise, I felt fine. I just I had retrograde amnesia. I yeah, couldn't yeah. remember what happened I'm starting earlier to that think day. your driver's license should be revoked. <laughs> <laughs> so I go home and I like, I feel fine. And then I have to work an overnight shift later that later that day. And my wife goes, you are not working. You need to go and seek medical treatment. You might have like a bleed. I'm like, I don't have a bleed. I don't have a headache. And it's so fine. Said, that's that's fine. Said, that's fine. Yeah. So that's my favorite I'm, line. I'm just like oh. a terrible patient. I don't have a doctor. And <laughs> she just for she drives me to the hospital before my shift. And my colleague takes care of me. And she ends up getting a CAT scan of my head and my neck to look for like a dissection or maybe a one of my arteries that caused me to like have some amnesia from the head trauma. And then I get this freaking report that says there might be a bleed there in my neck or something like that, or maybe abnormal anatomy. (laughs) So I call one of my trauma surgeons and I go, yo, can you just like take a look at the skin? Cause I got to work tonight. And Oh my God. And he's like, he's like, I just think it's like, just, I don't think it's a bleed. It doesn't look like a bleed. It's just probably fine. one of your vessels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have some abnormal anatomy there. Vascular anomaly and it, or something. And he just said, yeah. And he said, why don't you just put on a cervical collar and just, you know, come and just, we'll, we'll see you in the morning. I was like, fine. So I put on a cervical collar and work my entire shift with that. I couldn't like, I had to oh turn like this. My patients were like, are you okay? Yeah. Doctor? That would be a little nerve wracking to see your and doctor ended show up, up like that. Ended up, I was fine. I saw a neurosurgery resident later. <laughs> later because you have shift. to work at oh. all costs. Yeah, I do. Really? Because There's no oh way. Gosh. What am I, am I going to call out? Like, cause if, if I yes. call out to a shift, then I have to call a colleague to work. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. Of oh some, my goodness. Something silly of some head trauma. And some Just some silly head trauma. Amnesia. Just can't remember anything. No and I'm going to go treat patients and have their lives in my fine. hands. It was retrograde but I don't want to ask someone else It was to come retrograde in. amnesia. Oh, I was asymptomatic. Goodness. I didn't have a headache, yeah. no nausea, vomiting. Yeah. And you people are infuriating. <laughs> 
She she always gets. I have had to put up with this for I don't know too it's long terrible. now. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, when I uh, had my cancer diagnosis, I tried to continue working, <laughs> and and uh, and I yeah, like he left he left the ultrasound room where we got the diagnosis. I was like on and call. went to work. Uh, well, oh I tried. Gosh. I tried to. I ended up yeah. having to to leave because it was. Uh, too much emotionally oh. to, to bear. Yeah, but like I told you it would be. That That's just another example of why doctors are terrible patients. We don't yeah, know how to take care of ourselves. It's so it's so bad. I, I would not do that again. I was like younger back then. I'm older now. So <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a design flaw in the way we all think yeah. about our own health. <laughs> all right, let me. So so I, I prepared something here. Um, uh, this is just kind of off the top of my head for the most part. Uh, I, I came up with some healthcare design fails, like in my own mind, like yeah. these are failures of healthcare. Uh, and I thought we could just like talk about them yeah. and maybe we could maybe come you up know with how some... to fix them. I'm, maybe, I'm, yeah. ex- I'm excited about this. This is yeah. one of my favorite uh, topics, healthcare design fails. Well, yeah, absolutely. And if you it's, have, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> it, and if this triggers some, uh, some healthcare design fails that you know of, please uh, feel free to chime in here. All right, the first one is probably something that you've actually encountered in your job. Uh, I know I have. Um, eye drop bottles and super glue bottles look almost identical. Uh oh. Can you imagine how this could be a problem? Yeah. What do you think, Kristen? What do you think happens? People put super glue in their People eyes. People put super glue. Have you ever seen a super glued eyelid cl- shut? Have you? I- is oh, this real? Yeah. Yes. What? I, you ha- I have not yes. seen that yet. Oh, but... yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it probably, I, I hear about it probably once or twice a year. And so, um, again, we're in a big metro area, so, you know, we're going to get, you know, more of, of everything. But, um, yes, people think they mistake the uh, the super glue for their eye drops because, like, Gorilla Glue, it can uh, yeah. some, some of them come in little bottles that have, like, a twist cap. Uh, and, um, you know, obviously it's like sometimes people that use eye drops, they can't see as well. And so, sure. you know, for some reason they have the, the eye drops and the super glue, like on the table, like together or in a drawer together. And then sure enough, they super glue their uh, eyelid shut. Uh, yeah. Well, like- so you just can't open your eyes. What happens? Yeah. Do so you rip your cornea off. Well, actually, you know, I guess I could, I could tell out? you how to treat this. Um, <laughs> Uh, actually people think that it's the eyelid that gets glued to the eyeball, but actually what happens is the eyelashes get glued to this, to the skin of the lower eyelid. Mm. So, so actually what you can do is just cut the eyelashes off and then the patient should be able to open their eye. Hmm. Okay. So Not it's, as it's horrific actually, as yeah, I was it's envisioning. Fairly, I mean, it, it is horrific for the patient because they think the worst, obviously that they're going blind, but then when you can fix it, it's great. But anyway, that's yeah. that's that's a healthcare design. Like what? Yeah, like designers have have a responsibility uh, ma- yeah. making making some of these products. So remember that there was like that TikTok challenge of people like kids eating like laundry detergent. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Tide Pods. The Tide Pods. The Tide Pods. And why would a designer ever design something to look like candy? It looks just like candy. Like yeah. why would even Bright that, colors, yeah. Yeah, bright colors. Like <laughs> about that it size. It looks like something that you would yeah. want to eat and consume. Like it should never have been designed that way. And and ba- basic things. One of my favorite fl- slides that I use uh, in a lot of talks. I had to retire it because I use it so much, but I get so many laughs from the audience. Is that we have 
two thermometers in our trauma bay, an oral thermometer and a rectal thermometer. Oh, no. <laughs> and if you look at it straight on, you cannot tell which one is the oral thermometer, which one is a rectal thermometer. So oh, no. our nurses did a hack of, of we have with a, with a marker go rectal oral because the only way you could tell is a, a dot on top of the probe itself, red or blue. I'm like, oh, you should make those things very different because yeah. In, yeah. in an emergent situation when we're working uh, like in a hospital, you're just going to go quickly for a thermometer and no one wants a rectal probe <laughs> in their mouth. Oh, boy. No, no, I would say I would say not. Nobody wants that. So that reminds me That's of a good crazy glue and uh, yep, uh, yep. Yeah. crazy yeah. glue and eye drops, uh, rectal and oral thermometers. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> different things should be, should be, should, should look, look differently. Different. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> look differently, feel differently, sound differently. Exactly. All right. Here's one. Uh, can we design a better way for patients to sleep in the hospital? Oh, I think about this so much yet. Yeah. So we've, we did some exploratory research on this with sound that there are way too many alarms in a hospital, needless alarms, you know, so you could like, how can you design um, an ecosystem of alarms where, uh, where the devices speak to each other? Because currently medical manufacturers of these devices, they can put any freaking alarm they want on a device, but there's no system that orchestrates all of these sounds. Mm. And then also, you know, why do we need a, a 2 a.m. blood draw on, on a patient or right. 2 a.m. vital signs? Like, can we eliminate that and prioritize sleep for, for patients? So I think there are so many ways where we can minimize um, sleep disruptions or design, redesign the way that we take care of patients overnight, mm -hmm. redesign the um, alarms that we have for in, in the hospital. Or even the we, rooms we, themselves. Yeah. The rooms, like, yeah. You know, like why, I don't know if we still have, I'm sure we still have lots of hospitals that have like two patients to a room, but that should probably not be a thing. Yeah. I don't but know. It, it still, it still happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even little things like just make it a little more comfortable and, and nice looking in there. Right. So you can relax and, and sleep. It's or have, a... have windows that can, you can crack open and get a little. Yeah. Some little fresh air, air or yeah. something. Fresh air. I, I mean, I wish I had that during the pandemic, right? Because yeah. not all of our rooms uh, were negative pressure rooms. And, you know, because of the way hospitals are designed, they're hermetically sealed. And right. I sometimes I wish I was like, I wish I had an open window and I could put a fan in there that I could buy a Target because mm -hmm. I would feel protected. Right. So, you yeah. know, I have a, a buddy who's an architect, Michael Murphy, and he talks about, you know, how can we design hospitals themselves to have PPE? We think of, mm. you know, what, what would that look oh, like? Yeah. The PPE of, of buildings, of ventilating them. But instead we put, we think, we just think of the humans in those buildings that, Hey, we could put PPE on them. Mm. Right. That's a good point. All right. How about, um, can we design away fax machines? Is it, <laughs> You mentioned fax machines earlier. I it, it's can we is is there a do you perceive a world in the future where we do not rely on fax machines? Yeah, I feel like the rest of the world, the rest oh, of the rest industries of the have there. figured this out. So, what's the problem? Yeah. I I I don't know. I mean, it, it is 
You're it, the director it, of the health design lab. If you can't figure this no out, one can. nobody can figure this out. Okay, one, uh, this proves my point that we don't have a technology problem, right? We, we have a design <laughs> right. problem, right? Yeah. The, we have the technology to send secure uh, patient information over, over many other mediums besides a fax machine, but we still use fax machines routinely. So... The system has been designed to keep these um, archaic mm-hmm. 1980s technology. And I think it's funny because our medical students nowadays, the first time they've seen a fax machine is their third year clerkships uh, in the <laughs> hospital. So like they literally don't know how to use the technology because it's the first time they've encountered. They're like, what is this? You know, they're yeah. I'm like, oh, I man. am old. Like these kids do not know what a fax machine is. So. Yeah. Um, I don't think you know, it's ever going to happen. I don't know. How are fax machines any more secure than encrypted data? I mean, the paper just sits there on the other end. You have no idea uh, who's going to see that. I don't know. I mean, th- th- that's that was the argument for fax machines for a long time was that it was like HIPAA compliant. Like, so How you though? can... Like, there's, the paper just sits there. Anyone uh, can true. go by and read it. It does. <laughs> it does just sit at the fax machine. So it's. I think there's it's, limits It's still to that super argument. cheap uh, to have. Yeah, and it's, it's a real cheap, secure way of, of sending information. But it infuriates me. It, like, I... <laughs> <laughs> my 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 daughter had to get um uh acl repair uh she she tore it and and then at one point they're like yeah can you fax over some information I'm like are you kidding me faxing fax over information my That's- favorite is when sometimes my you know healthcare institutions where i receive healthcare will ask me to fax something and i'm like no no, I like can't. From your like, house. How would I even do that? Yeah. <laughs> your residential. Like maybe the public library might still have one. Let me find a fax machine. Oh, I thought it was a moral argument. It's like, no, I refuse to. But well, it's both. because you don't have a fax machine. Both. It's the yes. principle of the matter. <laughs> Who does? Who can do that anymore? All right, I got a couple more. Um, can we design a better slit lamp? Oh, yes. I mean, they're so hard to use. Like I did a few weeks of ophthalmology as a uh, emergency medicine resident. And so, you know, I, I put some time in to learn it, but good for you. It is. Yeah. It's big and cumbersome. You know, you need. Yep. Exactly. For those of you who don't know what a slit lamp is, it's a, it's a, uh, a machine on wheels that basically it's a microscope that allows you to look at the front and the back of the eye. Uh, with uh, fine it's detail. The thing when you're a patient and you go to the eye doctor and yeah. it's the one or two, one or no, two. No, 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 no. That's the four-opter. It's the big thing that that's sits not, on. No, no, that's not the thing. No. <gasps> I had all this time, I thought that no, was the, the slit lamp. No, the slit lamp is the. <laughs> Look the, at that. Slit lamp's the bright light that they shine in your eye. The thing that you hate so much. Okay, they but, dilate your but, eyes and they shine a bright light. The the thing you, you're talking you about. You still have that thing on your face when they do that, right? No, not necessarily. You gotta put your chin on that yeah, thing. Yeah, chin in there. That yeah, thing. that okay. thing. Well, I, I think you're maybe thinking about maybe you're combining. Maybe we should combine the two into one device. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, I think we might be onto something here. But anyway, from the, patient the perspective, slit lamp that it, seems it, like same thing. It looks like a it looks like a um uh, a medieval torture device. It really does. It feels yeah. like one too. It, it I, I yes, it it, does. It, I'm sure it does, uh, and it doesn't. Yeah, you wouldn't know because you've never had an eye exam. A lot of body. <laughs> it's true. Okay, you're calling really? me out here. Well, yes. I don't, I don't, it, it is true. I don't wear glasses. I never have. And I, I had you one. You should still get an exam. Kind of That's exam. what you tell me. 
You're right. Doctors are the worst patients. I, doctors We're are the worst. Keep coming back to that. Anyway, we <laughs> need a new, a different type of slit lamp. One that, like, also, depending on your body type, it doesn't fit mm. a lot of people. And and so it's just all around uh, needs and, a and second I think we one. need a uh, we need to design a slit lamp for non ophthalmologists because I don't need all those bells and whistles. I just need to look for like exactly. a corneal abrasion, right? And I don't like, and I'm like, there's so many dials to get it perfectly. I like, I I don't need to do that. And slit lamp for dummies. Yeah, business well, idea like, for like day. me. Like I need well, a slit you, lamp designed for me. <laughs> I'll tell you, this is a uh, people listening have probably heard this already, but uh, I oh, this is what I always tell emergency physicians: it's like if it's been a while since you've been since you've sat down at the slit lamp and you, you're trying to remember what everything works, just to the patient, you say, "Who messed with this thing?" <laughs> and it's gonna it's gonna buy you a little time to to try to figure I'm, it out. I'm again. totally so anyway, going to like write mean. write that down. That that's a I have all these scripts for patients that, that I use. <laughs> so I'm like I gotta remember that one. Yeah. Okay. I have one more one more design fail. Um, how do we design nicer cardiologists? <laughs> Can, can we do can we do something you, about this? What do you mean? I think the cardiologists in my hospital are. A lot of them are nice. Oh, you have to say that, okay? <laughs> they're they're going to be listening to this. I'm so glad you have nice ones. No, I'm hard on the cardiologist. I, I had like one or two uh, difficult experiences as a med student that might have ended uh... up with me crying. Uh, but, uh, it you know, I think overall probably they're nicer than I imagined. But, um, you know, maybe we could just cut out the... You know, asking about details on an EKG. I, yeah. I mean, maybe that's. Oh yeah. I, don't know. I you know, and I think at you know that it's a it's a funny question, but it is a serious question too. Like, how can we redesign medical education, and and how can we norm? How can we design behaviors, right? In in medicine, how can we redesign those behaviors? You know, if I when I was a medical student, you know, when I, I had a surgeon throw surgical instruments in, in a room and yell at me and say, Hey, maybe you shouldn't. Uh, I was thinking about going to surgery, but it was like, well, maybe you should go into pediatrics instead. I'm oh, like, well, that no. is so mean. What pediatrics is a great field. And like, that yeah. is like, like, it's so insulting. So I think, uh, medical schools are doing a better job of designing behaviors and, modeling uh out there but i, I think we can yeah. we can do better that sounds uh, like a difficult a difficult endeavor to do redesign love to behaviors see some co-design in medical yeah. education too from patients and families and physicians right like how can we design this whole system to work better for the people i think it's bj miller has that great quote about healthcare systems are designed for diseases not people mm. which is to say they're badly designed yeah so I want to see people have input into, you know, what can be better. And then we start just teaching people to do those You're speaking things. like a true designer, Kristen. I think <laughs> Stanford Medical School has a co-design process um, in their admissions. I, I think oh, they actually have like patients from the community participate in interviewing medical students. Oh, so that, that's, that's going to be their patients. Yeah. And then a patient may go, hey, this um, undergrad or this applicant has no social skills or no emotional intelligence, maybe, maybe mm. you should not accept it. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Oh, I could talk all day about this stuff. Well, let's, let's take a break and then uh, we're going to come back with a couple of stories from a very special person. Oh, all right. 
And, uh, and so we'll be right back with Dr. Bonku. All right, we are back. We're going to take a look at uh, a couple of special stories from Kristen's dad. Yes. Or more, actually more your grandfather. My grandfather, through yeah. Through your dad. Exactly. My dad sent these in to our email address, which I thought was really cute. That is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, and your grandfather uh, was an um, obstetrician. Yep. And he actually designed something very yep. special. He designed what's called the Mighty Vac. Which is a, you'll have to help me. I think it's a like a plastic disposable. It's a vacuum extractor. Vacuum extractor. It's a certain ah. kind of vacuum. Like the vacuum extractor as a device um, existed, but it was like made of steel and it was really, you know, a, not a great experience for the, the doctor or the baby. And they came out with a big, you know, cone on their head and that freaked the bombs out. And it just all around, uh, it was doing the bare minimum, but wasn't doing a great job. And so, um, my grandfather always used to tell the story of he was sitting in a sauna one day. Where and, all the best meetings happen. And uh, <laughs> there was another guy in there and he would say, you know, you got to talk about something while you're sitting there naked. So they just started making small talk about what they do. And it turns out he was a plastics manufacturer and one thing led to another. And, and they came up with a new design for the vacuum extractor that involved um, a certain kind of plastic. And anyway, he patented that and, and that's the Mighty Vac and it's still in use today. So I thought these stories are particularly appropriate for this episode with you, Bonku. Oh, that, that's so <laughs> cool. I love I love like where inspiration comes from. It can yes. come from right. a sauna. It can Make come it from... in a sauna. <laughs> right. Some of my best moments are in the shower when That's I'm right. on my devices. I my my brain can just like go down different pathways. Yeah, and... oh, just I'm put with two you. completely unrelated things together, and something magical comes out of it. But so you the... know, I, I encourage like a lot of us uh, to look at outside healthcare for inspiration. Yeah. You know, designers call this like there's a term for this called like analogous inspiration of looking at another uh, industry for some uh, in inspiration. So, you know, like right. a lot of us in healthcare airlines, you know, we get a lot of inspiration for them and kind of like pilots, how they use simulation and, you know, why can't we teach simulation to uh, doctors instead of having them take multiple choice question tests every 10 years to get recertified, but maybe they should have as rigorous uh, processes like pilots do to get maintain their certification. Or even just cross-disciplinary within medicine. You guys are so mm. siloed that it just doesn't, you know, allow for these moments of creativity. To yeah. Occur. I don't think I've talked to an ophthalmologist in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't surprise me whatsoever. <laughs> anyway, well, radiologists, I never see them anymore. I, we used to have reading rooms. I loved going back and to the reading room and talking with a human. Now it's just like over chat in the electronic health record. Uh, you, yeah. You think you haven't talked to certain doctors? When yeah. was the last time I talked to anybody outside of my own field? I don't know. Just this podcast. Th this, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so these are a couple of stories from uh, Kristen's grandfather. So, uh, and your dad sent us these. So, says Kristen, your grandfather enjoyed telling the story of a mischief mischievous patient of his who became bored lying in bed in the hospital recovering from surgery. The nurse brought him his lunch and a small plastic bottle for a urine sample that he was uh, was to fill at his leisure after he finished his lunch, which included apple juice. He then surreptitiously poured his apple juice into the sample bottle and waited patiently for the nurse to return. 
As she asked for the bottle, he started to hand it to her and then abruptly stopped just short of handing it to her, held it up to the light and said, hold on a sec, this looks a little cloudy. Let me run, run that through again. And then started, and then, and then to the startled dismay of the nurse, quickly chugged it down. <laughs> it's great. Gotta give that another pass through the kidneys. Gotta give that Filter another that pass through the more. kidneys. That's a good one. I have not seen that. Uh, that's a great one. That was a different. That's time. a good. That's, that's, that'd, be, that'd still be a pretty solid prank on your on your nurse. I'm sure that would that would throw people for a loop. Okay, the second one. Uh, he also told the story of a high school boy who worked part time in the afternoons at a small filling station garage in a tiny rural community nearby. The boy came to him complaining that he was having difficulty urinating. Your father examined him and quickly became suspicious something was up. After quite some interrogating, the boy confessed he had grown bored the day before and found some small ball bearings lying around and thought it would be a cool idea to shove them up his penis and shoot them Hi. out. Shoot them out while peeing. That was oh the goal. My gosh. To shoot them out. Oof, I'm sure ouch. you have probably encountered your fair share of things in orifices um where they not, should not be all, where they should not be all all the time and you know i used <laughs> to like do joke people of, do this i don't know and like you know there's like crazy x-ray findings of all this stuff and you know people sticking foreign bodies up the rectum and urethra oh, yeah. and swallowing stuff and and you know but you know you know uh, you know as i grow older i go i started asking patients like why did you do this? And yeah. you know, I had one patient keep on swallowing here? objects, and he's like, "You know what? I'm like, I'm just like depressed, doctor, and this is my way of of dealing with the oh. stress and depression." I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like it's sad, you know, because yeah. this guy has to go to the operating room, and and like, you know, it's I'm sure you yeah. probably get a lot of different reasons, a lot of interesting conversations." Yeah, I mean, those we, have, we have the best uh, stories to tell at cocktail parties. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. kind of I'm one sure. reason why I went oh, to the specialty. I've heard a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. All right, you can send us your stories, knockknockhi at human-content.com. Uh, Dr. Banku, thank you so much for joining us. Before you go, uh, let us know uh, what what's going on in your life, uh, uh, what you want people to know about. Yeah, um, uh we have a great book on called, Oh my gosh, you have it. Called we have <laughs> the book. Of course we have the book. It's a wonderful book. It's called a health is health design thinking. It's co-written by a famous designer named Ellen Lupton. And she did the second edition uh, during the pandemic. And we use examples of creativity during, during the pandemic. So if this uh, intersection of design and healthcare is interesting to you, uh, check it out. And, I have a podcast called Design Lab where we explore this in depth. So we have like architects on, industrial designers, um, physicians, other folks, and we just like take a deep dive into the intersectionality between design and health. Very cool. Not only is it a great book on design, but the book itself is designed very well. It I is. Was, it's I, very pretty. It's very pretty to it look is, at. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jenny Tobias did all the illustrations. It's like, a graphing paper here, like an EKG yeah. machine, and it's <laughs> awesome. it's it's a beautifully designed book. Check it out, Health Design Thinking. Uh, Banku, thank you so much. Uh, it's it's really been a pleasure talking to you. This was a dream. I'm going to be so famous in emergency medicine now. Like you, you both are legends. Like I'm going to be like I'm I'm going to impress people in my specialty. So thank you. All right, good talking to you. Take care. 
what a fun conversation that was. Yes, I could go on forever about all that stuff. That was super fun. Check Been out, check out that book to him for too. a long time. It's really, I haven't gotten all the way through it, but I know you're, you know, it's from what I've read, it's, uh, it's really fascinating stuff. It, it's a topic that you just don't, you know, going through medical education and training, it, it, it's, it makes perfect sense why we would need, yeah, um, to design, to, good design, to redesign everything, like the whole thing really yeah. um but it makes me you know start to have questions about how it was designed in the first place you know how did we get here why is it this way the residency schedules like you know i don't know if this is an urban myth or true but apparently you know the rumor is that they they the system we have for for the long hours that doctors work and especially residents or because there was a doctor that was on cocaine yeah, that set the cocaine, pace for um, everyone <laughs> really had a big influence in in the formative years of medical education so and that's training the system and the design from that, that you know that's what we have right now so i feel like it's due for a redesign maybe we, need we to should go, reconsider yeah we need to go from a, a cocaine design system <laughs> yeah. to a non Just caffeine caffeine can, would work yeah leave the caffeine in but <laughs> Maybe take it down a notch. Oh, and thank you to uh, Kristen's dad for sharing those stories as well. Yeah, those that, are always those fun. Were fun. Uh, and he practiced like this was in the 50s oh, and 60s. He was practicing. Um, I mean, he delivered me, so I oh, don't know right. the exact dates, but yeah. He was practicing 60s in the 60s. To, in the 60s he may to have been 80s. Trained. I, 60s I, to I really 80s? don't know. I Something like say. that. Yeah, 60s to 90s, I think. I remember oh, wow. when he, he retired. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and so it, let us know what you think about this episode. We had a great, as, as a, I think this is going to be a really fun one. Yeah. Guys. And um, there's lots of ways to hit us up, by the way. You can email us, knockknockhigh at human-content.com. Visit, visit us on our social media. Uh, we're on pretty much everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of it. The, all the things. And you can also hang out with us and our Human Content Podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at Human Content Pods. Now, we want to thank all of the great listeners for leaving feedback and reviews. If you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we can give you a shout out like today. The War Within a War on Apple said, down to earth, great listen. Information is fresh and easy to listen to. I think it's probably you. you. I don't know how easy I am to listen to, Mm. but I think we're both pretty fairly easy to listen to. Thank you so much for that comment. Uh, keep sending us your stories, jokes, and guest ideas. I, I love seeing um, uh, emails from people suggesting certain guests and a lot of interesting people out there to talk to. Uh, full episodes of this podcast is up every week on my YouTube channel at dglockandflecken. Uh, we also have a Patreon. Lots of cool perks, bonus episodes where we react to medical shows and movies, hang out with other members of the Knock Knock High community. We're there, active in it, uh, interacting, commenting, posting things. You get early ad-free episode access, Q&A live stream events, and a lot more. Patreon.com slash Glockenflecken or go to Glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, new member shout out to Tuspa M, Julie S, Mark, and KL. Shout out to all the Jonathans as well. Patrick, Lucia C, Sharon S, Omar, Edward K, Stephen G, Rossbox, Jonathan M, Marion W, Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C, Brianna L, Chaver W, Jonathan A, Leah D, and KL. Patreon roulette time. This is when we give a shout out to uh, a random emergency physician tier of the Patreon. So That's right. we have a shout out. Oh, I got, I got to do the thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Drum roll, please. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Michael H for being a patron. 
And thank you all for listening. We are your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glock and Flecken. Special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Bon Koo. And our executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corney, Rob Goldman, Shanti Brooke. Our editor and engineer, Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omer Benzvi. To learn about Knock Knock High's program disclaimer and ethics policy, submission verification and licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms, you can go to glockandflecken.com or reach out to us at knockknockhigh at human-content.com with any questions, concerns, or other medical jokes. I did it. Knock Knock High is a human content production.